welcome. You're listening to a worship podcast from St. Matthew's Episcopal Church. St. Matt's is a neighborhood church with a worldwide community located near the St. Paul campus of the University of Minnesota. We're a community of people invited by Christ to meet him at his table, in each other, and in our neighbors. As apprentices, we practice following the way of Jesus as expressed in the Anglican tradition, in the power of the Spirit, so we can participate in God's healing of ourselves and the world. My name is Blair Pogue, and I'm the rector or lead pastor of St. Matthew's. And this coming Sunday is Sunday, July 11. It's the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. Let's begin with a prayer. Loving God, you have led us to this place not to shield us from heartache and the pain of human life, but to heal us and inspire us, to gently redirect us, till we see the world as you do and love it with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel lesson this Sunday is Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 19. King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, 
the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I want you to think about the last time you had a long, leisurely meal with others, when the conversation went deep and you lost track of time. Having an unrushed meal with others is one of life's pleasures. It's often only when we are unable to eat due to illness or hardship that we realize how important sharing food and conversation is for our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. While COVID enabled some of us to slow down, at least in the evenings, families are returning to their pre-COVID schedules. Piano and dance lessons, Baseball practices and evening meetings are forcing many families to eat dinner on the fly and sometimes in the car. One parent I know prepares a couple of casseroles each week. She tells family members to get dinner out of the refrigerator when they're hungry. While that plan ensures that everyone gets fed, I have to think something is sacrificed. What about the catching up that happens over dinner? The storytelling? The chance to check in and support others? Table fellowship, whether it be with family members, friends, or unknown guests, contributes to our well-being and is an important part of being human. Now. Not all table fellowship is life-giving. I've been to dinners I looked forward to and those I've dreaded. I've been at meals where I felt treasured and loved and others where I felt ignored and small. I've attended meals where someone got drunk and berated others and where someone was made to feel unwanted. There have been meals with my extended family where everyone played their traditional parts and old patterns and issues reemerged. And times when my family told stories and we laughed so hard together that we cried. At those times, many of us felt grateful to be part of such a fun and loving family. I've attended meals where true communion took place. Times when there was deep and vulnerable sharing and I felt God's presence. I wonder if you've attended meals like this.
Today's Gospel from Mark explores King Herod's table fellowship. It provides an interesting contest to Jesus' table fellowship. Between now and September, almost every Gospel lesson contains a meal scene with Jesus and his disciples, or an occasion where Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. From the feeding of the 5,000 to Jesus' statement, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, our upcoming readings explore the ways Jesus feeds us spiritually, his presence at our meals, and his hospitality. Herod's hospitality is all about Herod, maintaining his power and reputation and not losing face. His table is one at which his wife Herodias's hatred of John the Baptist overrides Herod's respect and fear of this righteous and holy man. Herodias hates John the Baptist because he has repeatedly told Herod that his marriage to Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, is unlawful. This is difficult news for Herod, but he doesn't want to kill John. Earlier in Mark, we learn that Herod put John in prison, but also protected him. On his birthday, Herod presides over a party consisting of his courtiers and officers, as well as the leaders of Galilee. It's a dinner to honor him and to reinforce the relationships that keep him on the throne. At some point during the dinner, Herod's young daughter comes in to dance. This in itself is disturbing. Hellenistic banquets included something called the Symposium, in which women and slaves were brought into the room as entertainment and exploited. The entertainment offered was not something you would want your child to witness, let alone participate in. And yet Herod's daughter dances and pleases him and his guests. On a whim, Herod tells her, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. He goes even further, saying, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. Sounds like Herod has the foolish, high-risk personality we sometimes see in political figures. Offering your child half your kingdom over a dance? And what about the people in that kingdom and their welfare? Clearly, Herod isn't thinking about the well-being of the people he rules, especially the most vulnerable. The girl goes to her mother, Herodias, and asks what she should request. Herodias says, The head of John the Baptist on a platter. When King Herod hears this, he is deeply grieved. The word used for Herod's grief and sadness is the same Greek word used to describe Jesus' feelings in Gethsemane 
before his death. Herod's guests re represent the inner circle of power in Galilee, and Herod's birthday meal is the occasion for the murderous whims of the ruling class of Galilee to be revealed. According to scholar Ched Myers, the story is a parody on the shameless methods of decision-making among the elite, a world in which human life is bartered to save royal face. In the place of delicious food, John the Baptist's head is served as if it were the main course. This is what the reign of death looks like. By contrast, Jesus hosts meals in open public areas, as well as in the homes of people who are looked down on by religious and political elites. He is both host and guest. At his public meals, crowds of people without wealth or political connections are invited to feed on what was originally five loaves and two fish, and everyone leaves this banquet full. A true miracle at a time when most people went to bed hungry. Everyone is fed and nourished physically and spiritually. Religious outsiders are welcome, as well as women and slaves, and not for their entertainment value. A woman plays a central role at one of Jesus' meals, but she doesn't dance. She anoints Jesus' head rather than asking for it on a platter. Later in Mark's Gospel, as he is dining with his followers, Jesus tells them that when they eat bread and drink wine together, he will be in their midst. Jesus gives himself in love to nourish his followers beyond his death, as his risen presence strengthens them to participate in his redemptive work in the world. The God we serve is the God of life. God's life and mission are communal, as seen throughout the scriptures and especially in the many meal scenes in the Gospels. As Norman Wurzbaugh points out in his book, Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating, as early Christians struggled to remember Jesus in their eating and table fellowship, they discovered that co-abiding with Jesus called for a new social reality and a new form of life. In it, the forms of division, degradation, and violence that characterize customary eating and living need to be overcome. Hospitality is offered to outsiders. The hosts are welcoming and vulnerable and guests are welcomed as Christ. Jesus' first followers understood Jesus' words and actions as building on the prophetic traditions that spoke of a new way of organizing existence 
so others might experience the good news of healing, freedom, forgiveness, and reconciliation, all prerequisites to experiencing life in its fullness. At Jesus' table, everyone who is hungry is fed and given the freedom and nourishment to be God's ambassador in the world. At Jesus' table, we experience life as it can and will be. Jesus' spiritual food provides the sustenance and courage to speak out against the reign of death in our midst and world and to work for structures and communities that promote the dignity and well-being of all people. May the bread and wine we receive in Jesus' name, as well as the community of faith and love that surrounds us, feed us in body, mind, and spirit and give us the strength and courage we need to go forth into the world in the name of Christ. Amen. In the silence that follows, I want you to think about who the Holy Spirit might be encouraging you to make time for this week. Perhaps over a meal, or for a cup of coffee. Let us pray together one last time. I invite your prayers for friends, family, and those who are alone. I invite your prayers for the place where you live, the United States, and the countries of our world. I invite your prayers for those who are ill and suffering. I invite you to pray for this fragile earth, our island home.
I invite you to name and give thanks for those who have died. God, our hope, may your blessing empower our thanksgivings and our prayer. For we put our trust in you, the living God, risking disappointment, risking failure, working and waiting expectantly. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, Creator, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.